Hello and welcome to the Level Up podcast. My name is Aaron Petty. I'm a yoga teacher, a teacher trainer, but most importantly, forever a student. My name is Paige Taylor. I'm a yoga teacher, student of Ayurveda, advocate for sustainable living and lover of all beings. Most importantly, what are you? (laughs) Your lover. (laughs) (laughs) Our goal with this podcast is to dive deep into how we as humans can live more intentional, ethical and sustainable lives. And also how we can come into harmony with ourselves, others and the earth in the process. On today's episode, we are going to be discussing the purpose of Asana. Hmm. Cool. <laughs> Peaked pages interest. Um, so asana is essentially what most people view yoga as. Hmm. What is yoga? Stretching. <laughs> Being flexible. Handstands. <laughs> um, and it's it's like rife in the in the modern day collective awareness yeah um if you say yoga to someone the first thing that they think of is touching their toes Mm -hmm. which is pretty sad and oh no i can't do that yeah i can't do that i'm not flexible enough Uh uh-huh so yeah i guess we wanted to discuss today where asana being the physical practice fits into yoga as a whole system Mm -hmm. as um, a complete practice as a complete practice and and you know it's it's our role as yoga teachers to offer the practice and the essence of yoga in its completeness and and not just one singular aspect that deals with just the body Mm mm-hmm Um, I think that's important. I might just kind of touch on that quickly is that it is our responsibility to offer that that as a complete practice, Um, but it is your student's responsibility to absorb it all. And for some students, it's, and you know, mostly a way in, well, not mostly, but like for majority of people, the way into yoga is this physical high intense workout. Yeah, and we'll get into that a little bit later as well, why that's the case. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, um, and while students can just come in and that's what they expect out of a yoga practice and that's what they are seeking from a yoga practice, it is our responsibility as yoga teachers to offer more than that for when they are ready to listen, when they are ready to hear and Mm. when they are ready to experience the deeper and more subtle aspects of yoga i feel like as you say that a lot of what we offer whether it's philosophically um or whatever it often will seep into the subconscious somehow Mm -hmm. without them even realizing yeah and that's why a lot of people will kind of like they're interested in doing more study in yoga because they're like, oh, you know, I think there's something more to it. Yeah. There's something more than just this, <laughs> this asana part, this, yeah. this exercise, you know? Yeah. And, and I think a lot of modern yoga is just asana. Like it's an asana class. Yeah. You go to yoga to do asana. Yeah. Um, so let's maybe have a chat about where asana comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it's kind of historical context and how it's evolved. Mm-hmm. How does that feel? Sounds good. Okay. Um, so the word asana 
comes from Patanjali's Yoga Sutras um, pertaining to the eight limbs of yoga, which we've spoken about before in actually what was our most popular episode, an introduction to yoga philosophy. Yeah. Um, so if you want to go back and listen to that, if you haven't yet, go and listen to that episode because it's kind of a precursor to this one. Um, and this one, we deal with it in a little more depth. Mm-hmm. So um, historically, and, and the direct translation for asana, the word asana is to a seat, mm-hmm. to sit. Um, and I feel like that is directly referring to the seated positions necessary for meditation practice. Mm-hmm. So our modern asana was really developed to aid the body's capacity to sit for a longer period of time in Mm -hmm. meditation. Yeah. Yeah. And further on from that, the, the modern vinyasa style of practice was actually developed quite recently in a historical context meaning that you know the vedic era was almost ten thousand years ago and modern asana has come to rise in what the last hundred years yeah um and it's it's could be a little bit controversial but this has had a lot of influence from um western gymnastics and a lot of the specifically the standing postures yeah um were designed for teenage boys Mm. and the the very abrupt one breath one movement lots of back bending really energizing practices were developed for teenagers um to bring their energy up into their mind and stimulate them and also allow them to expel a little bit of energy so that they could focus a little better. Yeah. And then if you think about all the people practicing this modern vinyasa asana practice now... They're not teenage boys. They do not need extra stimulation. (laughs) Yeah, because we are. We're so, so stimulated. Yeah. Now, where I was going with this was that yoga as a system is much broader, much larger than asana itself. And from a traditional perspective, the asana that we practice nowadays is not even really considered yoga. It's Mm. considered preparation for yoga. Yeah. Um, And so I, I thought I would just give a little bit of perspective on that and 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 how that really developed so the the modern asana comes from a man named krishnamacharya krishnamacharya was a yogi um more specifically a yogi scholar mm. so he studied yoga quite intensely and he he's kind of credited with the the revival of yoga in in modern culture because it was almost lost now krishnamacharya was 
employed he was like handpicked to be the yoga teacher of a very influential uh, king the king of Mysore mm-hmm. and so Krishnamacharya was kind of taken on board and he was given this this big um, ashram you would call it um, to teach yoga in the king's palace or in the kingdom now this was around the time of um, the British colonization of India and so the British soldiers had come in and they they'd kind of occupied India and they've brought in their laws and and all of their their British things as they did all over the world mm. and Krishnamacharya was there in, at this really unique time and and I think what he saw was that there needed to be a revival of the Indian traditions but in a in a modern context and I guess he could see the way that it was going like the Indian youth were being brought up in a in a western system and so he observed um in the kingdom the gymnasium there was actually a gymnastics center in the kingdom and the way I understand it is that he started to incorporate some of the gymnastics movements, but... Which came from the British Army. Which came from the British Army. Yeah. The, the, so the whole British Army was actually um, trained in gymnastics. That was their main training regime. Um, and that's a whole nother history on its own. But the British gymnastics came into India through the British Army's training. Mm -hmm. Now, what Krishnamacharya did was really special because he viewed these gymnastic movements through the lens of yoga. Mm -hmm. And that is what is missing from a lot of modern asana practice. And Mm -hmm. it's a really Western way of viewing the asana that Krishnamacharya taught. Mm. Um, You know, he, he... taught all sorts of crazy asana and and the way that he intended for it to be used was direct teacher-student relationship. Yeah. Um, not so much a one-size-fits-all approach, let's all do this pose today. Mm-hmm. More so, uh, you have, you're presenting with these symptoms Let's use these asanas to bring you back into balance. Mm, it's quite like a, a therapeutic yoga sense. A hundred percent. And so that was the way he was teaching. It was always one-on-one. And um, essentially, Krishnamacharya had two major students um, as far as Western influence goes. Um, one was Ayenga, BKS Ayenga, who was quite a sick young man um and he was given by krishnamacharya a very restorative gentle practice that focused a lot on alignment focused a lot on the use of props for support because that was what he needed Mm -hmm. and that was what he needed to bring him back into balance um the other was Patabi Joyce. 
And Patabi Joyce was a very fit, very athletic, charismatic young man. Um, so what he needed was a very dynamic practice that allowed him to express himself and exert his energy. And a lot of teenage boys at the time needed that. But what Padabi Joyce did was he went ahead and created um, Ashtanga Vinyasa, which is kind of where modern Vinyasa draws a lot of its foundations, like Surya Namaskar, um, really intense posturing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that is also not for everyone. Mm, for sure. We're not all teenage boys. We're not all... We're not <laughs> They're not all teenage boys. And you'll notice that if you go into an Ashtanga center, a lot of them have very similar body types, especially the Ashtangis that have practiced for a long time the same um, sequence. It fits a specific type of body and a specific type of personality, and, and those people are kind of naturally drawn to it. But what's left is all of us in between mm -hmm. those two extremes. And, and each of us requires something very specific. Now, what's been lost in translation over the years is what Krishnamacharya taught and what, what the, the lineages taught in regards to um, our energy, our prana, and our asana practice. So we spoke in our last episode about prana and the five pranas, pranavayus, we also spoke to how asana affects the pranavayus, mm -hmm. right? So what's missing in modern asana is this deep understanding of how our asana practice affects our energy. Yeah. And and, and our yeah, our energy body. Mm -hmm. So each stage in the yoga path requires a specific sequence of asana dependent on the way in which we are wanting to move energy at that stage and also on from that i'm just gonna pop in and say i know it doesn't uh, we won't really expand on it in this episode but in in through the lens of ayurveda um, you know, we all have a unique constitution, a unique body type, um, which falls from the uh, five elements into the three doshas. And each of us has our own unique makeup of these elements. And in, in that even, it, we all need a different practice. Yeah. And then again, on top of that, um, whatever our imbalances are can be influenced through our practice and pushed further out of balance mm -hmm. through our practice if we're not practicing intentionally. Yeah. So there's a lot that we can layer on top of this. So much. Now, I just want to take a step back and have a look at the purpose of asana within the eight limb system that Patanjali puts out. Mm -hmm. So the eight limbs of yoga were put forward far before um, Krishnamacharya came along and started to develop this more modern style of asana. Mm -hmm. um, 
And what Patanjali says is yama niyama asana pranayama pratihara dharana dhyana samadhi. Mm. And there's a lot in that. And, and I think in our first yogic philosophy episode, we spoke a lot to the yamas and niyamas. Yeah. And, and living a yogic lifestyle was an even further development on that of how do we apply the yamas and niyamas. Yeah. So if you want to know about the yamas and niyamas, go ahead and listen to those three episodes, Yogic Philosophy and Living a Yogic Lifestyle, part one and two. Yeah. Um, they speak to the yamas and yamas. Today, we're going to look at what comes after the yamas and yamas. And, and we did also speak to these being non-linear, mm -hmm. meaning that the yamas and yamas can arise spontaneously. Samadhi could also arise spontaneously. But there is a part of the eight limbs that can be looked at as linear, mm -hmm. being asana, Pranayama, Pratihara, Dharana, Dhyana. Mm -hmm. And this is essential to understand when sequencing a yoga practice for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We use asana to bring the body into balance, mm -hmm. to unblock any energetic blockages in the body. We use pranayama to bring our energy into balance energetic management through use of the breath then we use meditation specifically to work with the mind and bring the mind to a place of stillness so that we can merge with the object of our meditation mm -hmm. um, so let's look at that system first and then we'll give you guys um the stages of of hatha yoga yeah so in a typical yoga class if you were to go to to say a, a popular studio you might get some meditation you might get some breath work some pranayama most of the time from my experience it's like shavasana is counted as meditation and five deep breaths at the beginning is is de is your dedicated pranayama time. Mm, yeah. And they'd say like you do pranayama in your asana as ujjayi. Mm -hmm. um, but if we were t if we're looking at a complete practice, we want to be including a seated pranayama practice and a seated meditation practice that is. I would say as long as, if not longer than, our asana practice. Yeah. Now, the other thing I wanted to touch on before we really unpack the, the final limbs is that when people learn this, it's really common to just abandon asana. Like, oh, asana is just this seat. Like, it's not important. But I really want to put forward that asana is important once we have a deep understanding of our energetics. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing that I hear often is I've been practicing breath work and meditation every day without asana. Mm -hmm. And in my personal experience, asana 
brings life to my breath and meditation practice. It really sets me up for a deeper breath practice and a deeper asana practice, especially when I'm practicing in the morning. Because in the morning, you've got all of this tension, all of this tightness, all of this stagnation that needs to be moved before we can start to shape prana in the way that we want in our pranayama practice. Mm -hmm. So even if that asana looks like 20 minutes and you do three poses yeah you start to move energy in the way that you want it so that when you do sit you can sit tall and you can sit strong and you can start to really shape it and asana also is a intelligently sequenced asana i'll add is a really powerful way to understand through embodiment the effects of prana or yeah. even to feel prana and make it tangible for yourself and for sure the you know when we speak to the prana values the different feelings that are cultivated as a result of shaping prana yeah so just to just to touch on that again like we did last episode the prana values are the pranic winds so the movement of energy within the body um, and within the pranic body. Mm -hmm. So it's the manifestations of prana. And we use asana to influence the pranavayus. And the pranavayu are, are the most easily influenced, the most accessible layer of the pranic body. So when we get a deep understanding of it, we, we can really empower ourselves through asana. So forward folding. Apanavayu. Apanavayu grounding force downward movement of energy really drops us into our body helps us to release what we no longer need what no longer serves us helps us to let go of emotions um to to move through and deeply ground mm, and it's also a real weightiness to it on a physical level that is what helps us you know excrete and uh release toxins from our body all of that as mm. well and on a on a uh, breath level it focuses with exhale and you'll notice when we teach if you do practice with us there's always like you'll we'll fold and we'll say fold as you exhale mm -hmm. you wouldn't fold on an inhale it's just it's not how it works doesn't make sense folding is working specifically with a panavayu and a panavayu is releasing so we want to <sighs> mm. we want to release our breath as we fold yeah so grounding is a pana uh, folding is a pana yeah um, twisting is samana, mm -hmm. so digestive, um, assimilative, integrative, integrative. Is that how you say it? I think it's integrative. Integrative. I don't know. <laughs> Integration. Um, it, it really speaks to our capacity to digest, um, to, to concentrate energy in the navel, to build digestive fire, to... I want to say, nah, it escapes me. Mm. So twisting is a pana and now I've got it. It was twisting um, is samana, you mean? Twisting is samana, sorry. And it's it's really um, what brings our subconscious up into our conscious mind. Um, 
long holds in deep twists really start to to wring out the subconscious of of everything that needs to be burnt up in the fire yeah laterals so side bending Mm. speaks to viana yeah this expansive force um big expansion and this is also inhale retention Mm -hmm. back bending speaks to pran vayu which is this receiving uplifting energizing speeding up heating that kind of stuff and for most people back bending is the last thing that they need yeah and then finally um Uddana Vayu is more so extensions and inversions. Yeah. So it's the upward movement of energy, our desire to transform, the flipping of our perspective that everyone always talks about when we go into a headstand. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, we went into it a lot last episode, but there is also kind of like uh, a map in which we, we progress through the prana values and, you know, that's kind of what we're going to draw on a little bit towards the end of this episode but you know if you've come to our classes often or you you practice with us you know that we don't teach udana too much in in public classes mm. because of because of this because you know there needs to be solid foundations and then from then there needs to be this integration and then this expanding and this heating and this opening before we can you know have the right steady foundations to ascend and there is there is an intelligent way to sequence asana in line with the pranic map of the values Mm -hmm. um this is called vinyasa krama yeah and vinyasa is a very common word (laughs) Uh, it means to place Mm. and then (laughs) krama is uh to place in a specific wise way yeah um so really if we're doing vinyasa we're just putting poses in an order yeah vinyasa krama is really the map of intentionally placing poses in a sequence that is energetically cohesive yes and that doesn't mean just sitting down to plan your class and just think oh what what am i going to do here no it means using the energetic maps to sequence and um you know it would look like back bends and inversions being the absolute peak of your class and then after that doing some twisting to integrate all of the energy that you've created through those back bends doing some folding to really ground that energy and and bring everyone back into their bodies and and integrate it into their life yeah um and if you want to learn more about that map come and do a teacher training with us yeah we would love to have you (laughs) subtle plug um so let's have a talk about the eight limbs that was a little bit of a i know how did we get there (laughs) so the eight limb map looks like this first asana practice and and exactly what we just spoke about that is how we would approach asana we move through the asana practice in an energetically cohesive way that is going to set us up for Pranayama. Pranayama. And I'll just put in here as well, a lot of yoga teachers start with pranayama, which is fine, um, but it is not, and you know, I do, I sometimes you do as well, um, but it, it's it's not where we emphasize pranayama, but it, it's more of like a cultivating of awareness and grounding yeah. into our bodies and the space to then practice asana and then pranayama. Exactly. 
So, after our asana practice, there is a pranayama practice. Prana is the vital life energy that we spoke about last week. And ayama is to expand. Mm. So, it's to expand our energy. In order to expand our energy, uh, we need to have a strong container and also a expandable container. So, uh, uh, And that's where they talk about Asanas stiram stukam asanam. So there, there needs to be steadiness and there needs to be ease in the in the asana. So there needs to be strength in the foundation, but it needs to be supple enough and receptive enough that we can expand that container. So we think of the body as our container of energy. Mm-hmm. We use pranayama to expand that energy, expand our capacity to contain life. And expand ourselves within life. Mm. So pranayama, in this perspective, we're really looking at the right use of the breath in order for our intention um, for meditation. Mm-hmm. Now, there's many different intentions we can have for pranayama. And again, we spoke about it last week. I feel like we're repeating ourselves <laughs> on this episode. But there's brahmana and langana and samana. Mm. So we, we can speed up and heat up energy through pranayama we can slow down and cool down energy in pranayama or we can balance and assimilate energy in pranayama yeah so the the pranayama practice i mean it could be a 20 minute practice some people practice only pranayama i don't know why you would Mm. um but it it builds on what we started cultivating in our asana practice so if our intention was to ground and release We would do lots of folding. We would do lots of twisting. And then we'd do a really langana pranayama practice, slowing the breath down, focusing on the exhale, cooling everything down, really starting to calm the mind and our energy through pranayama. So after pranayama, we have... Pratyahara. (laughs) Pratyahara. So pratyahara is the withdrawal of the senses. Um, And it's interesting, I actually spoke about this this morning in our morning meditation practice. Pratyahara is is often mistaken as meditation. Mm. Um, The withdrawal of the senses. And and pratyahara really speaks to the, the knowledge of where we are placing our prana. Yeah, well. Now, for most of us, most of our life is spent experiencing the world through the gates of the senses. Yeah. Now, when we are indulging in sensual experience, we are giving our energy to the senses. Essentially, we're leaking energy. We're pouring it out through our eyes and our nose and our ears and our mouths, eating all of these things, watching the television, giving all of our attention to social media and and all of the feelings that it brings up. Have you ever noticed when you sit on social media and you just feel so drained after mm. an hour scrolling through I think we spoke about Instagram. this in now. We spoke about living, this yesterday. Living a yogic lifestyle <laughs> episode. Um, Conscious consumption. So Pratyahara really speaks to that. Mm. Once you've done your asana, you've done some pranayama, 
you begin to turn your awareness away from the senses, away from the inside world, and you direct that energy inwards. Yeah, so away from the external world. Away from the external world. You, you direct your energy inwards. Mm-hmm. The withdrawal of the senses, withdrawal from the senses. And this can be like a really difficult task, especially mm. like so, so many of us are just constantly stimulated, constantly giving attention to our senses from the moment we wake up. Mm. What emails have I got? Who's contacting me? What's on the news right now? Yeah. Let's get the senses going. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of us use our sleep to substitute our lack of pratyahara. Mm. Um, and sleep is, is not the purpose of, of pratyahara. We use our practice for pratyahara. Mm. So depending on what you need, you use your asana to, to shape energy. You use your prana to pranayama to continue to shape energy. Then... Pratyahara happens. You turn away from the senses. You turn your awareness inwards. And you can stay at this step for a long time. But what the essence of what I'm trying to get at is that this is not quite meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Pratyahara. <laughs> <laughs> so once we've done our Pranayama, once we've mastered Pratyahara and, and we can really turn our senses inwards, then we have Dharana. Um, I always get these two mixed up. <laughs> so yama niyama asana pranayama pratyahara dharana. dharana. Now dharana is dharana concentration, and this is my favorite thing to talk about. I actually spoke about this in my class this morning <laughs> as well. Um, dharana is often taught as um, concentrating on something. Mm-hmm. Actually, there is a practice, and and it's the essence of dharana. It's called prana dharana. Mm-hmm. So we have asana to shape prana, pranayama to shape prana, dhyana to move prana inwards, and pratyahara. then pratyahara to move <laughs> to move prana inwards. <laughs> Too many words. And then we have dharana. And this is the concentration of prana within the third eye or Mm. within the midbrain. So concentration, not so much looking at something and focusing your concentration on that thing. Because then you would just be giving your prana to whatever it is you're focusing on. More so, this concentration being a condensation of gathering a gathering of prana and and i've heard this called the nectar of our awareness Mm. you can think about it like the bees gathering honey in the hive Mm. and that honey is the nectar it's the essence it's full of nutrients and it's it's so medicinally powerful prana is much the same and we can collect it in the hive of our mind now when we have a really um, a good comprehension of and a deep practice of dharana, once we've gathered prana in the mind, we can use we can then use that prana concentration within the mind to enter the state of meditation, mm-hmm. because that saturation of prana within the mind 
brings absolute clarity like it 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 completely um disintegrates any impurities in the mind Mm. then the mind is clear and then we can enter dhyana so dhyana is the state of meditation now in this state with with the mind full of prana we can use the dhyana to bring life to whatever the object of our meditation is yeah a lot of the time that's mantra yantra manifestation sankalpa shakti um and and this the dhyana stage is where we can really start to empower our life and it's it's so so potent and i I think you might be able to tell that i'm getting a little (laughs) bit excited but that's the essence of meditation and meditation is the essence of yoga practice yes and that's why we practice it's not to do a handstand it's not to do a deeper backbend it's not to you know attain any kind of asana it's to achieve a state of meditation that is deeply connected and from that state we can use prana to manifest in our reality and and be a force of nature in the world Mm. force of change beautiful um and that's what the universe is asking us to do that's what the yoga tradition is asking us to do to live up to our dharmic potential live a, a deeply purposeful life and empower that life through our practice so there should be asana like all of these steps on the eight limb path and i'm haven't tapped into samadhi yet because that's a whole different thing um but from asana to meditation to to dhyana they are they all come together in a in a really sequential way as far as practice is concerned yes and they are all important and they're all important. Now, that's not to say that you can't achieve a state of meditation because once you, I mean, without asana, mm-hmm. but once you do get to the stage of dharana and, and you get to the higher stages of dharana. Dhyana. No, da- dharana, oh. like prana dharana. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's like five minutes of asana, five minutes of pranayama and 50 minutes of meditation. Yeah. Um, the, the lower stuff starts to fall away, but a lot of people kind of get enticed by that meditation and samadhi and, and all of these higher practices. And they, they kind of forget about asana before they're ready to let go of it. Mm. Um, and you can kind of be sitting in meditation, but you're not actually meditating. You know, you're still trying to get the, the senses out of the mind and, and out of the, the periphery. So it's it's really important to to continue doing asana, continue doing pranayama and, and use that to empower your meditation practice. Like Krishnamacharya did asana up until the day that he died. Mm. Um like all of these great yogis there there was always this this encouragement to keep the body um well and healthy so that you can participate in the world yeah and i think it's so important to note as well like you know while um the origins of asana come from the vedas and in in that interpretation it is just a seat um you know these yogis that were um receiving this knowledge the the vedas 
they weren't really doing much except that you know mm. they were just sitting and receiving and meditating and you know listening whereas we you know um as you know a modern society and as tantrics live in the world yeah, and, and we have quite sedentary lifestyles and our bodies aren't adapted to the elements yeah. our bodies aren't the, what they're naturally designed as anymore so we we need asana more than ever to mm. bring us back into balance especially yeah if we are living in this world and that's kind of where this comes in right it's you know if you choose to go and live in a cave in india with the sadhus and renounce everything um maybe you won't need asana as much anymore yeah but for for us who live in the world and we we use our bodies every day and we do different things asana is one of the most important aspects in this progression of practice 100% and uh i am a a big advocate for asana practice mm. so let's have a little chat now about the seven stages of hatha yoga mm-hmm. and you know when i stumbled upon this map it put a lot into perspective for me same um it it really speaks to the natural progression of practice um from you know first stepping into a yoga room studio and how that develops the more we practice mm-hmm. and, and it also gives us some pointers as to when we may be ready to move on to the next stage or the next practice that is right for us. Yeah. Um and this is really what we share in the way that we present um yoga at level up. Yeah. So let's have a look at it right now. There is seven stages of hatha yoga. The first two stages really speak to preparation. They're like preparation for hatha yoga. Mm-hmm. Um the first stage is purification. Mm-hmm. Now, this is this is where a lot of the modern, you know, vigorous asana heated practices can be really helpful, mm-hmm. right? But it, it can very quickly throw you out of balance yeah and and that's you know a really important point point that that's where a lot of us start this yoga journey yeah 100 percent, and it's what is necessary in a lot of people's development yeah and i know for me when i began or began how would i say that began when i began yoga when i began i think it's began <laughs> i don't know who is began it sounds like me again Um so when I began practicing yoga I was you know a little bit overweight and I had been drinking a lot mm. and putting all sorts of toxins in my body mm. so really hot and vigorous asana practice was exactly what I needed and in my experience it was um quite the same but also different it, it <laughs> like same same but different same same but different but no it wasn't like a physical thing for me i was quite fit i was quite skinny i was quite toned um which i am quite naturally but it was more i had this like density of mind stuff 
and mm. density of like emotions and you know i want to say the opposite of clarity <laughs> right like murkiness avidya avidya yeah for sure um and for me th- that this really heating and fast-paced practice was a way to purify my you know pranic body my emotional body my my mind yeah, it's purification everywhere yeah to really get me you know clear and purified <laughs> yeah so stage one is purification and this is where ayurveda can can come in yeah um starting to treat the the diet starting to understand where you're at from a dosha perspective and, and what you you might need in your in your yogic endeavor mm. lifestyle choices as yeah well. so it's it's really purification which is the preparation for hatha yoga mm-hmm. stage two of hatha yoga is strengthening so this is also considered preparation um but it's strengthening the willpower strengthening our discipline um physical strength in relation to the spine Mm. um so that we can sit upright strengthening the the core muscles the bandhas um strengthening our willpower our discipline (laughs) you already said that did i yeah start (laughs) (laughs) well i guess i'm repeating myself um but yeah so stage two is is really strengthening and and people can get stuck here like Mm -hmm. get really obsessed with strengthening becoming strong yeah um and i think that's kind of innately built in our society to to trap us (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) um so that's the first two stages and and they are 100 percent necessary yeah and yeah i think that's so important 100 percent necessary and you know, so potent and so powerful for these stages of our path. Um, And also this is like in a tangible sense, this is really where modern vinyasa sits. Yeah, 100%. Modern vinyasa and and then I would also say yin. Yin starts to fit in here. Mm, Okay. I would Um, say yin's the next stage. All right, well, then let's talk about the next stage. Cool. So the next stage of Hatha Yoga is where we enter the moon phase or the lunar phase. And the, the third stage of Hatha Yoga is the calming stage. Yeah. So we start to calm the mind, often referred to as the moon. And also the nervous system and after also, all of that stress and fight or flight response. Also built. definitely the nervous system. So, yeah, you're probably right. This is probably where yin fits in. Yeah. Um, so we begin to slow our practice down. We begin to turn inwards mm. and we begin to really like calm the mind. And this can be quite an intense and long process. Yeah. Because most of us have quite beastly minds. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you have been on this path similarly to us, I know my first experience with yin when I was still in the those first two stages of like strengthening and purification, I did a yin class and I was like, oh, I hated that. Which <laughs> 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 was just like my mind was going crazy. Yeah, right. I actually would just fall straight asleep. Yeah, right. It was like the one time of my day where I could just go to sleep. Mm. And I would just end up doing one pose for the whole <laughs> 60 minutes. You still do that. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's important to to 
to understand and know that if you know maybe you have experienced like this maybe you have experienced that modern vinyasa fast-paced strengthening style of yoga and then felt the call to yin and so often Mm. especially with our yin teacher trainings we get people who have been in that vinyasa phase and are now like i'm ready to slow down yeah feeling deeply called to slow down and you know sometimes that comes from a burnout sometimes that just comes from a a deep listening and for some people that can be incredibly difficult and they can just say i can't slow down i can't stop my Mm. mind's just racing and that means you need yin (laughs) (laughs) but then other people are like oh that's a it's a sigh of relief for me yeah and I just want to say like each one of these stages can be binding. You can kind of get stuck there. And and if you get stuck and you you no longer continue to progress down the path, then it can start to throw you out of balance. So if you get stuck in the first stage of moon, so the third stage, the calming stage, which I have experienced this and you become too yin and you become too relaxed and there's no real motivation, you become really uh, tamasic. Mm. Um, so once we start to, to slow down, calm our nervous system, calm our mind, we move on to the fourth stage, which is also a moon stage or a lunar stage, but this stage is stabilization. Um, and this is where I think our lunar practice comes in more so than yin. So, so yin is really used for deep relaxation, very, very deep, calming, resting, building ojas Mm. um then the fourth stage stabilization is where we start to bring in a lunar practice so we move back back to a a, an a steady asana practice but we're holding poses for a longer period of time so it's not one breath one movement it's find a pose find steadiness become completely still Hold yourself strong until your mind starts to turn and tell you this is too hard. This is too much. I can't do this. And allow this stillness and this steadiness to to stabilize the mind and purify the mind and and anchor yourself in buddhi, in that that inner teacher that that can rise above all of that mental chatter. Um, That is stabilization of the mind. And it's also stabilization of the nervous system. So knowing when and how to calm the nervous system and how to remain in that state and, and become unshakably calm. Yeah. Yeah. And also um, stabilization of the body. And I think, you know, in those first two stages, as we speak of strengthening and then we speak of softening, right? In the third mm-hmm. stage. And, mm-hmm. and then this stage is kind of like, the happy medium right and it's where we're not excessively moving our bodies we're not stressing the muscles and the joints and the ligaments to a big extent it's just like finding stability in your body steadiness yeah steadiness and and it's funny when we we do practice like this and sometimes we have people that are more used to a a fast-paced vinyasa practice and then when they come to a you know, a really, you know, strong lunar. It can be confronting. It can be confronting for yeah. sure. And 
then it's different because your body it's a different kind of strength yeah and it's a different kind of stability and it's even an endurance it's tapas uh-huh for sure it is tapas and and i always find it so interesting when we or i have people that come to a class like that that you know uh vinyasa students or even like gym students yeah and they're like shaking and they're like shocked by that yeah and it's like oh it's it's just different yeah yeah it is it requires a new style of strength and, and I, i have a really good analogy for this if you don't mind me chiming mm-hmm. in um the difference between like this iron hard rock hard strength mm-hmm. like rocks break mm-hmm. quite easily if you hit them in the right spot a rock or something that's just like rock hard will just shatter into a million pieces and if we stay in this in the strengthening phase we risk that like there's an, a big chance of injury on the contrary something that is incredibly soft has no substance it can't really be formed into anything yeah um it becomes floppy and, and there's no real integrity to it the analogy that i like to use is the analogy of the tree mm. um so a tree really embodies this this lunar quality of stability like it's it's grounded it's strong it's unshakable but when the wind blows the tree will adapt and it will move and it will bend as much as it needs to and that's not to say that it can't break if it's not ripped out of the ground um but it it has this adaptability it has resilience right and it comes back to this uh stiram and sukum yeah stiram stukam asanam stukum that's right Yeah. And uh, this steadiness and this ease. Yeah. And that is really really the essence of what we try and create in lunar practices. Yeah, 100%. So, that is the fourth stage of hatha yoga. Second stage of moon is stabilization. Um from here we move into the higher stages of hatha yoga. So, all the way up to the fourth stage, there's moon, we become stable. physically we become stable mentally mm. and that's a really important one because yes it's it's quite easy to become physically stable but mentally stable is a whole other ballpark and i think we kind of went into it in the nature of the mind podcast episode as well yeah um just like anchoring ourselves in like a grounded mind and a stable yeah. mind in order to to move into the solar stages of our practice. Yeah. Now, the sun represents prana. Mm-hmm. So we spoke about this last episode again. I'm going to keep reminding you all of our podcasts build on each other. Yeah. So so go back and listen to that if you haven't already. Um but the the fifth stage of hatha yoga is when we enter the sun aspect of our practice and this is essentially the dawning of our higher perception um so we become really more sensitive to energy more sensitive to prana and because our mind is stable we can start to bring in pranadharana practices and and build our our prana within us because the container is stable mm-hmm. it's like you, you you don't want to put 
I want to say like lava in a in a moving truck. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it could spill out everywhere. Well, and this is kind of where the Ayurvedic principles of Ojas, Prana and Tejas come in. And Ojas mm. is this container for Prana and for Tejas. And, and fire. Yeah, which Tejas um, is, yeah, like that fire aspect, that inner radiance and Prana, the life force, the energy. Mm. And we need this this immunity and like vital container um, full of life to hold it. A hundred percent. So we start to move into more pranic practices. Um, So more pranayama in asana sense, more backbending, more laterals, more inversions. Expansive shapes. More expansive practices, but we take the moon with us. We don't let go of the moon. Mm. We, in a solar practice, do these bigger, more open asanas, but in this really grounded and stable way. So we use the moon as our foundation. Mm. I say once the moon has been made still, then the sun can be made to rise. So then we can start to bring our prana up and and really become more dynamic in our personality and more dynamic in our life and our thinking and our expression. Um, So we start to work with pranayama, breath retentions, we start to bring bandha in. We start to contain prana, build prana. And the I'm not going to say the problem, but something that we really commonly see in the yoga world or the spiritual world is the jump to this stage before anything else. Yeah, and if there's no stable base, this stage, the sun stage, can just throw everything out of whack. And it- um, so, sorry to cut you off. No, it's okay. Um, but the the thing I always say is like prana illuminates indiscriminately. Mm, yeah. So whatever hasn't been dealt with in the moon stage, whatever instability is present in your mind, prana will amplify that. If you're an angry person and you start doing solar practices prana will make you more angry and more stressed and you know more unstable um and and if you move on to this stage before you're ready it'll lead you straight to burnout and it it really you know as you're speaking then it it is the pinnacle of big experiences right and that's it's like a seeking thing in this like spiritual world at the moment like oh i'm searching for that that big experience where kundalini shakti arises spontaneously and my chakras awaken and i'm just in samadhi and i'm guilty of that for sure yeah i'm i don't think i am probably (laughs) teaching in that way sometimes yeah um but yeah, this is this is where we start to have more subtle experiences, um, and and start to experience a prana, the pranic aspects and the more astral aspects, but in a really controlled, sustainable, contained way. Mm-hmm. So it's not like boom, entire reality mm. shattered by this experience in my practice. Like it's no like I'm still i'm stable i'm starting to see and feel prana interact with my life and i have the clarity to know where to place that prana Mm. and know where to to empower myself i know what qualities i wish to empower and i know what kind of change i wish to bring into the world and that is intelligent and that is safe yes yeah and it should be it should be safe 
Um, and and this, this practice is a science. It's a science of self-realization. So we want to move through it in this really controlled way. Um, so that's where we begin sun. That's the, the fifth stage solar, of the yoga. Yeah. Um, and yeah, our solar practice. Onward from that, the sixth stage of Hatha Yoga is expansion. Um, so there's the dawning of the higher perception. We start to sense into prana. We start to have little glimpses. We start to contain it. This is like dharana really fits in here. Like mm. prana dharana is the fifth stage. And then dhyana is the sixth stage, expansion. And this is like using mudra, using kriya to really intensify that that essence of prana within us and and really expand our experience of prana um, so that we can direct it towards what we want to cultivate through our meditation practice mm-hmm. um, direct it towards deep inner listening which is which is the the goal of our practice you know it's, it's not so much about, in this perspective, it's not so much about what we're doing in our life. It's, it's how we approach our practice. And we use this practice to empower our life. But we have to get to this stage before we can really hear what our soul has to say. To really hear what Dharma is telling us. When we cultivate that deep listening, or it's, it's called nada, um, and it's funny because my dad would always say like when he was saying the word nothing, he mm. would say nada. Mm. I got nothing, nada. Yeah, right. And the Sanskrit word for, for emptiness, internal emptiness mm. and listening is nada. Interesting because I was just, you know, writing my post last night. It's a little sidetrack. But anahata, uh, meaning unstruck. Unstruck sound. Unstruck. It, well, anahata really means unstruck. Mm. Well, yeah, unstruck sound, but it actually comes from the Sanskrit term anahata nada, mm. and that is really the essence of unstruck sound. Yeah, so so we use pranadharana. It essentially takes place in the mind, in the third eye, in the midbrain. We direct towards the heart. The heart is the ultimate goal of yoga practice. That's where bhakti happens, and bhakti is the highest goal of all yoga practice. Um, and it's it's you know merging ourselves with with the infinite so the sixth stage the the second stage of sun expansion directs our intense experience of prana towards this deep listening this listening to our soul yeah listening to our source yeah then we move on to the seventh the final stage of hatha yoga and that is the fire stage um and this is what I'm only just starting to feel comfortable sharing. Yeah. Um, so the, this is the final stage. And, and the focus of the fire stage is Kundalini. Mm. Kundalini is kind of an, a, a bit of an elusive um, concept. Yeah. But essentially, Kundalini just means dormant potential. Um. And once Kundalini is awakened, our dormant potential is awakened. It turns into prana shakti, and it allows us to experience this innate 
beauty in and sacredness within our life within our life experience um this is the purpose of of yoga mm. it's to 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 bring that experience of yoga yoke connection into our waking experience mm. and i think it's just um you know something important on this is that you know what you said of kundalini awakening um and that is kind of what seems so esoteric or Mm. um i guess i don't know another word um untangible but i was recently listening to one of our teachers talk and the way he described it is that um kundalini is already awake it is us that is sleeping um kundalini wakes us up yeah kundalini does wake us up and it's you know through and then one of my other teachers has recently just been talking about the removing of our stuff Mm. so that we can access and feel the kundalini shakti which then in turn turns into prana shakti but it's yeah I think, and that's what really speaks. This this seven stage of hatha yoga really speaks to it's, it's the purification, removing of what no longer serves us. It's the strengthening of our body, mind, everything, um, calming, stabilization. You know, I can't remember the sixth one. What is it? <laughs> higher. Dawning of a higher perception. Dawning of a higher perception, and then expansion. It really speaks to moving our stuff out the way moving through our shit and whatever has accumulated and then being able to access this innate potential within ourselves yeah and that's that is the essence of hatha yoga to Mm. to realize our potential and to fulfill that dynamic potential um, because all of us are here to achieve greatness yes to to live our fullest, most abundant, most impactful life. And, mm-hmm. and that's what practice should do. That's that's where we should be aiming for in our practice. Um, so let's just do a quick recap. Mm-hmm. First, there's the eight limbs. Mm-hmm. Asana, pranayama, pratihara, dharana, dhyana, samadhi. Um, that's the, the sequence of how your practice should look. You want to do asana, then pranayama, then turn the senses inwards, collect some prana and move into meditation. Yeah. That meditation should take you to samadhi, which is the, the state of oneness. Mm. On top of that, we have the stages of hatha yoga, which is essentially the path that that is commonly followed um, or commonly unfolds as we yes. practice mm-hmm. hatha yoga. Yeah. Um, so the first one was purification. This is hot, sweaty asana, maybe going to the gym, maybe doing some dieting, taking some herbs, um, starting to put your foot in the door. Then we have strengthening. So stronger asana, stronger body. We calm down, calm the moon, calm the mind, stabilize the body, stabilize the mind. Then we move into the higher stages. There's the dawning, this experience of prana, the expansion of prana, and then illumination in our very life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. So wherever you're at on the journey, there's a practice for you. 
Yeah. Um, and our job as yoga teachers is to assist people in this journey yeah. and, and, you know, recommend the practices that are going to serve you in each moment. Um, and that is really why we designed our online studio the way that we have. You know, we have lunar classes, we have solar classes, we have breath and meditation classes, we have yin classes. So that no matter where you're at on the journey, no matter where you're at in your path, um, we have a practice that can help you. And, and if we don't, we'll film one. Yeah. <laughs> so that you've got a practice. Um, yeah. So if you're interested in practicing in this way and if, if you're interested in working with us to develop a practice for yourself please please reach out because it's what we live for mm. what like literally why we are here right now doing yeah. this thing we love working with people one-on-one -on -one. um so if if that's something that's calling to you please please reach out just send us a message say hey um, I'm here, I'm looking for a practice and, and we can go from there. Mm. I think um, to kind of just like recap in terms of the title of this episode yeah. um, in just the shortest kind of synopsis ever. Synopsis. Synopsis. Um, we use our asana practice to empower our meditation practice, our yoga practice. Yep. And then we take from those experiences, from that practice, and empower our lives. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a cyclical process mm -hmm. and, and practices daily. Mm -hmm. um, our belief is and our lifestyle pertains that practice should be done daily in order to maintain progress mm -hmm. um otherwise you slipping backwards yeah cool so that's it that's all we have for you guys today um that's a big that one you guys have enjoyed this podcast and thanks so much for joining us we we really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to this we've got like over 1500 plays on the podcast mm -hmm. so we really really appreciate the support from you guys and and we're glad that so many of you are taking so much out of this um if you got something out of today's episode all that we ask is that you share it with someone that you think could benefit from it whether it's a yogi whether it's your mom your grandma share it on instagram share it on facebook share this knowledge we want to get it out there it's it's like yoga is so secretive yeah and and it's like become this thing of like oh you have to pay for the knowledge mm. our mission is to share this with everyone help this become the daily you know common knowledge yeah um and as aaron mentioned before if you are looking to practice with us we do have an online yoga studio um, where we upload three to four new classes each week and these reflect the four pillar system of yoga that we offer at level up solar lunar yin and breath and meditation and there's one fire practice on there <laughs> um and this is a complete weekly practice that can be modified to suit your evolving needs as a yoga practitioner and the class library is constantly growing and contains our most potent practices um Every class in the studio online is 
worthy of a 40-day sudden up. Mm-hmm. And I can guarantee you that it's got our stamp of approval on it. <laughs> um, if you want to stay updated with us and what we're up to, you can find us on social media at levelup.yoga or on our website, also levelup.yoga. And we own a small yoga studio based in Berwick in Victoria, Australia, where we run classes, workshops, and our yoga teacher training programs all from this space. So. And our next 200-hour teacher training intake is going to be in July. I think it's next, June. June or July next year. Um, we've also got a couple of 50-hour trainings coming up. We've got a full Hatha training, 50 hours, mm. and a 50-hour yin training. So if you are feeling called on them, check out the website. All the info is there. Um, and please, if you have any questions about any of this stuff, feel free to reach out. We're always happy to chat. I love yoga. So does Paige. <laughs> so hit us with your questions. Um, anything that you that you couldn't get clarity around, anything that you want to challenge, I'm always happy to have my understanding of yoga challenged mm. because it's just yeah. Our, one of our teachers put a post up today about this. Did you see it? No. It was, there's a specific name for it. I think it was like Via Diasa or something like that. And it's like a spiritual debate. And the, he said that the intention is never hatred, um, but more so like a spiritual fencing. Yeah, 100%. So it's, it's, it's a way of deepening your understanding through the understanding of another. Vada. Vada Vidya. Vada Vidya. So come and participate in some Vada Vidya with us. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's nice. We we love to to chat about yoga. So please feel free to reach out. Um, we'd love to connect with you. And uh, yeah, have a bloody ripper. Mm. Om. Om.